Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples, and we're doing a bi-week mailbag. Got a lot of questions, and I'm going to try to make this pretty quick. I'm going to have a uh, pretty sizable Clemson preview coming out on uh, Thursday or Friday, and want to make sure I leave a few questions, actually, that are about Clemson in that one as well. I'm going to take a couple of those here. Uh, I did have the good fortune of being in the box for the Clemson-UNC game. So I got to see a lot of what was going on there up close. Uh, I've also talked a little bit about, uh, I've gotten a little bit of uh, feedback from people inside the UNC program uh, and also uh, have had a chance to look at a little bit of coaches film on from that game. So I have a, a good sense of what UNC actually did uh, in order to keep it that close. So we're going to, we're going to have a pretty good preview there and uh, we'll be able to, uh, I'll have a, a little bit of a breakdown of a few plays here and there. Uh, on the uh, Patreon Patreon site, and uh, we will uh, we'll, we'll go from there. But we're going to go ahead and get to the uh, question and answer stuff today, to the mailbag stuff. Before we get to that, I want to thank, forgot to mention, this is from the EPR Creation Studio already, but I want to thank the first sponsor, and that is EPR Creations. EPR Creation sponsors with, or partners with small businesses. Yeah, this is an early morning read. With small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. And as I've already said, EPR Creations partnered with me to launch the website showthesafeties.com. So for those of you who are interested in actually getting to see more of the football game so that when a quarterback drops back, you see more than just the quarterback on your screen, sign the petition at showthesafeties.com. Let's get this thing to go viral and see what we can do from there. All right. So, and also if you have any needs for any additional, any web presence or web improvement, talk to EPR Creations. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're the best in the business. So let's go ahead and get to this. Uh, take a few initial questions. First question actually was, uh, was on the NC State game. Did number five do more harm than, or more good than harm this week? Yep. Number five, Dontavius Jackson actually played well against NC State. First time we can really say that this year, and what a difference having some quality coordination and coaching at that at that spot makes. You got to give, uh, and as I'd said earlier in the year, you know I'm not going to blame kids necessarily or bl- blame the players for making the same mistakes that other players are making at the same position, which tells me that there's a, a bigger problem there than the player. Uh, Jackson was frustrating me more because of some of the stupidity and selfishness at different points, but that, that didn't emerge either. So good, good for him. Uh, next question. Is there, is the reason why LeBorn does not get more playing time because he's not a good pass cat or pass blocker? <sighs> mm, okay. Um, and then the second question is related to that. So I'll go ahead and, and put them together. Why don't we see LeBorn and acres in the backfield at or see LeBorn and acres in the backfield at the same time? <sighs> Well, you see, um, LeBorn doesn't play as much, first of all, because Akers is better than him by a lot. Akers has been a lot faster than LeBorn ever since they arrived on campus. He's a little bigger, not much, but, uh, and he's, he's an overall better back. Uh, so that's number one. That's why he plays over LeBorn. Number two is Akers is a really, I mean, top quality, high character guy and does everything that the coaches ask, does it without complaint. 
And he, I mean, you're talking about a leader on the team who is the kind of guy that you want on the field, the kind of guy that you want to push as the, the, the kind of culture that you're trying to build. So Akers is a guy that you you want out on the field there. Uh, and yeah, uh, as for why they, we don't see more LeBourne and Akers in the backfield at the same time, Bryles has never really been big on playing the the ponies or the two two uh, running backs in the backfield at the same time approach. You have you, you didn't see that a whole lot at, at at Baylor. You didn't see a whole lot of it at FAU or Houston. It's just not something that I mean he can do it, and and, and if the if the situation warrants it, then it would make sense, but that would require that the other player, that the second running back be one of the best 11, you know, certainly one of the best 11 offensive players uh, that you've got, or one of better put one of the best five skill players that you have. And it would have to be somebody that you, that you trust is one of the, you know, you've got to make, you've got to take somebody else off the field to put him on there. And quite frankly, for LeBorn, that's, that's just not where he's where he sits. He's not one of the best five skill guys out there. And when you put him out there instead of say a Trey McKitty, you're losing as a pass blocker. I mean, they're doing a lot of max protect. So you're yeah, his pass blocking is not great. Uh, you know, we we've seen some of that. You're losing as a as a pass blocker when they keep McKitty in. He's a a, a threat out of the backfield, but is he a more of a threat than what you're getting from? Uh, an H back or a tight end, you know, in terms of being able to get out of the backfield and do some things vertically, not really. Uh, and you know, yeah, he's more of a threat once he gets the ball in his hands, but again, you're, you're, you're not throwing to your backs a ton there. Uh, so there's not much reason to put him out there instead of an H back. And then when you start looking at the slot receivers, he's not as good as, as, as Helton. He's not as good as Harrison. He's not as good as, DJ Matthews. Why would you take one of those guys off the field and put LeBorn on there? And then you've, you're going to have your outside receivers on the on the field no matter what. So there really isn't a reason to have him out there in the ponies package unless he's better than one of those guys, and he's just not. So and and LeBorn is one of those guys who, for whatever reason, so many so many fans have just. They love him and they just think that, you know, he's obviously such a great player, but he, and, and he is talented, but he's not what a lot of, a lot of fans seem to think he is. A lot of fans seem to think that he's a really explosive, you know, fifth gear kind of guy who's going to bring you a big play threat. And he's not really that. I mean, he's, he's, he's a really good, he's got really, really good vision. He's twitchy. And you, we've seen that he can make you miss and he'll break a couple tackles, but he's not going to take, you know, he's not going to take one to the house generally from 70 yards. The thing everybody remembers is the one in the spring game a couple of years ago, but you got to remember that that's that secondary was a bunch of walk-ons and yeah, he's outrunning those guys, but he's not outrunning elite guys in, in the open field. I mean, you look at how Terry absolutely hawked him down in the open field in that. And everybody was talking about how, how fast that made, you know, how fast it was or how fast it, it was obvious how fast uh, Terry is from that. And I was saying, well, yeah, Terry's really fast, but also LeBorn's a four, six guy. So, I mean, yeah, it's not surprising that Terry is going to be running him down like that. He ain't running acres down like that. I can tell you that. 
So, in fact, uh, you can see I, in the uh, in the Boise State game, Acres come flying into the screen at the tail end of the uh, of the play when uh, when Terry's at almost full gallop, uh, where Acres comes flying in and you know basically hawks him down. Although again, he had he had just made a move, so he wasn't at full full speed. But Acres showed you know the kind of wheels that LeBourne really doesn't have in terms of long speed there. So that's that's really why is you're looking at. Akers is your best player on offense. And so you want him on the field and getting as many touches as possible. He's also one of your team leaders and a great character player. And, and, and it reinforces your culture when you're playing those guys. So yeah, I'd be playing a bunch of Akers and, and Les LeBourne too. So that, that's, that's that. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, next question. Uh, is it time to bench Ricky Aguayo? Do we do you have someone else kicking field goals from now on? I'd sure be thinking about it, and I know Willie Taggart has been. Taggart uh, has very little, low tolerance for kickers who don't put the ball between the uprights, and Florida State's got a, a walk on who's been kicking it decent. So you know if you're going to miss a bunch of field goals, Ricky, uh, you can go ahead and party uh, by yourself in the um, in 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 College Town or wherever else. All right. Um, Next question. Why doesn't Bryles roll Hornybrook out during the game Saturday to get him out of the pass rush? Well, that's actually a, it's a good question, but it also reflects a common misconception that a lot of fans have. And that is, if you can't protect your quarterback in the pocket, well, then roll him out because that'll help you protect him. That doesn't necessarily help you protect your quarterback. You can actually be rolling him into edge pressure. And if your tackles are terrible or if you if you have trouble blocking the edge, then sometimes rolling a quarterback out just means that you're rolling him into the problem. So, you know, yeah, you can do things like, uh, you know, move, moving the H back out to hook the, hook the defensive end and, you know, do some, uh, some rolls where you have the, the tailback and the uh, H back lead on the edge to try to create some, uh, to create some space on the edge there so that you can roll that out. But there are some costs to that too. Number one is when you roll there, if they're bringing an extra guy from the backside, oftentimes you wind up without anybody to account for that guy. So a lot of times the way to account for edge for, for a, a rolling out is actually to blitz from one or the other of the edges. And then all of a sudden you're either rolling right into the, into the blitz or you're ro you're rolling away from it, but the, but you've got a, let's say a nickelback or somebody who is coming straight into the uh, who's running down your quarterback from behind and you don't have an extra guy on that backside to block him because when you roll, you have to slide protect or you have to move that backside. Let's say you're rolling right. Your backside tackle, your left tackle has to slide inside to take any inside pressure there. If you're blitzing off the edge, you may get a guy that it, that's at full speed at your quarterback. The third reason that this is a problem at times is that you're also giving also giving up one other thing, and that's if you're if you're rolling out, you really only have half the field to work with as a quarterback. Or really, you know, if you've got a really good quarterback, maybe two thirds of the field, you can't really throw backside, and that means that that teams can roll their coverages with your rollout and take stuff away while still providing pressure. So while rollouts are okay to do once in a while. And particularly boots can give you some stuff. If you're able to run the football, then boot action can cause some serious problems for a defense because the play action forces everything to roll one way and you, they've got to account for the running back. Then you, can, then you can boot out 
and be able to get some stuff on the backside because the defense has to has to run to the football on the for the play fake. And that's a little different, but you can only really do that when you're running it really well and when d- the defense has to account for that and can't load up to uh, to pressure the quarterback. So, you know, and, and if you're struggling to, to run it or if, or, or if there's any problems up front that you're having, that's not really something that's going to help all that much more either. So really, the, the, the best option is to do what Kendall Bryles has been doing, which is no surprise because the guy's a freaking genius when it comes to uh, when it comes to running his offense. He knows what he's doing. Uh, and that is go more max prep, max protect and uh, go with uh, go with the, the H back and the running back blocking along with the five offensive linemen so that they're going to have to bring seven to get pressure. They're going to have, you know, even if they get pressure with six, you've got some space where with three guys out in the in the pattern, generally speaking, with the three guys that Florida State's going to have out there, you're going to have one of them that's going to get a win downfield. And so that's that's generally your best option. Uh, and then you vary that some where, you know, they, maybe they they do try to bring some extra pressure and now you leak out an Acres or a, or a uh, uh, Trey McKitty to get a a. a, a to take advantage of that, of that blitz and get it out quickly to those guys. So now you want McKitty to start, you know, maybe breaking a tackle or maybe making a guy miss in the open field at some point. But overall, um, you know, that's where, that's where that stands. I still wonder what would have happened had McKitty moved to defensive end. I think, uh, I think his athleticism there is uh, terrific. Now that's not to say that he doesn't have a future at H back. I think he potentially can be an NFL, uh, NFL pass catcher, you know, hybrid type guy there, but uh, he's he's not as special there as he might have been. I mean, uh, some of the people that I, I talked to talked about how how good he could be as a as an edge guy on defense, and you know, with the weakness they have there, it makes me wonder. But in any, but anyway, um, let's see. Next question. Actually, before the next question, I'm going to go ahead and thank the second sponsor on the show. That's Luis Marquez of Keller Williams in Jacksonville, Florida. As I've said repeatedly on this podcast, he's the best in the business in Jacksonville. He's a trained photographer and videographer. He's going to make your house, if you're listing in the greater Jacksonville area, he'll make your house look better and sell faster for a higher price than anybody else in the Jacksonville area. And if you're looking for a place, nobody's going to outwork him in finding the right place for you and then negotiating that out. If you want any sort of uh, real estate transaction done in the greater Jacksonville area, you need to call Lewis. You need to let him know that you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. All that information is in the show notes. All right, next question. Bi-week question that I'm submitting to all the FSU podcasts I listen to. This originally posed to me by my dad and lots of good possible answers and good podcast fodder. Okay, after the bye and Clemson, we see FSU go on the road to Wake and then host Syracuse and Miami. Three tough games for this limited roster. In that three-game stretch, what game is most likely to be a win and which is most likely to be a loss? Hmm. And then he actually provides his own answer. I think it's possible to win all three or lose all three, depending on how the ball bounces and the kind of focus. To answer the question, I'd say UMQ's Wake in terms of uh, which game is most likely to be a loss. Uh, and then I guess he's saying wake is, uh, the the most likely win there that this is a good question. And I would say wake forest is probably the most likely loss of the three, uh, because wake wake is a really well coached football team. And they're one of those teams that will lull you to sleep. And what they do offensively 
is as unique as what Paul Johnson did. They do that delayed, frustrating RPO stuff where they will just sit there and they'll, you know, what they what they've done is they basically said, oh, defenses are starting to try to muddy the read, so they're gonna. Uh, you know, patter their feet and wait to see if you're if the quarterback's going to hand it off, and they're just going to you know wait, 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 and then respond once the quarterback hands it off. So they basically said, "Okay, fine, we'll 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 blink when you blink." And there are times where the quarterback will ride the the uh, the, the mesh point all the way into the line of scrimmage. I mean, he's they're a yard upfield, and they're still the ball's still in the belly of the running back, and the quarterback will pull it later. And that's just something you're not used to playing and, and it gets, it, and they do a lot of veer blocking and, and they get a lot of uh, double teams at the point of attack. And it's really frustrating to play defensively. They also scheme scheme wise are designed to take advantage of linebackers and in the interior part of your back seven. And well, you know, that, that matches up really well with what Florida state does. Uh, and then defensively, they are really quick and they, they create a lot of pressure by uh, what they what they do up front with a lot of stunting and blitzing and moving. And that's exactly the sort of thing that Florida State has struggled with. You know, you look at Virginia, you look at uh, some of the stuff that gave them trouble against Boise, but particularly Virginia and uh, and Louisville, where they they ended up with a lot of pressure because of the, uh, of, of those guys moving around uh, similar in some stuff to NC State as well in that regard. And so defensively, they're probably going to give Florida State some problems up front now. I think Miami actually is one of the more likely wins for Florida State. I think they they, they fall in the middle, uh, and I would favor Florida State in that game partly because I don't think Miami is very talented. I think they, you know, I, I was talking to somebody recently who was in their practice, and he said they may have ten guys on that roster that wind up in the NFL. That it's one of the least talented Miami teams that that he's seen in a while. I, I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but overall, I think you know Miami is not quite as talented as their reputation, number one. Number two is that their offense with Enos is exactly the kind of offense that I would want Florida State to face at this point. That they, they match up, Florida State matches up better with what Miami wants to do in terms of strengths and weaknesses. So I think Florida State can, can handle some of that. And then yes, they're better up front player for player than, than Wake Forest, but they're going to match up and they're, gonna, they're not going to do as much up front uh, they're going to try to win with with personnel, and I think Florida State with the max protect and some of that stuff will will have a little bit better uh, better chance with that. So, I would say Miami a little bit better chance to win than than uh, than Wake, and then Syracuse is probably the most likely. Uh, I would say is most likely win, even though Syracuse is really good on the edge, uh, and that matches up well with what Florida State's weakness and the, on the offensive line is. I'm just not sold that Syracuse is very good this year. Uh, and I know they've been playing a little bit better in recent weeks, but the other thing is that Syracuse is running a version of what Florida State runs offensively, and Florida State has seen a ton of that. So I, I think that helps in terms of your preparation. I think that's that's a game that they should win. I wouldn't be surprised if they won all three. But again, they could lose all three as well. It just a lot depends on who's healthy and uh, and, and effort level and, and how well they, uh, they actually execute and how much they continue to, to progress on defense. But I would favor them in all three games. I, I just think, again, uh, there are some, some significant hurdles, particularly with Wake Forest, that, uh, that concern you. All right. Next question. 
Am I wrong in thinking that Juwan Williams is as mentally weak as he is physically? Just seeing Willie Taggart's comments today makes me think he's a complete um, weak-minded person, I'll just say, in all aspects. Uh, well, um, no, you're not entirely wrong. Uh, I th This is one of those things where he's one of those players that they've done their best to try to build up mentally because he's not a... Uh, He's not a naturally confident guy, not the most confident uh, and robust uh, mentality on the team. And so they've really worked hard to try to build him up in terms of making sure that he understands how talented he is and understands what he's capable of. And they really are, have tried to reinforce that because they understand that he's not a guy you can climb all over and, and, and expect uh, to handle that well. So in that sense, there's some truth to to that question. I wouldn't phrase it exactly as you put it, but yeah, you're you're not exactly wrong. All right. Next question. If you were in control of Florida State and had an SEC budget, what changes are you making? Okay, that's a good that's an interesting question because SEC budget is a loaded question. Um because are we talking about uh let's say Ole Miss's budget, Mississippi State's budget, or are we talking about Alabama's budget or LSU's budget? Because those are very different. An SEC budget is not really a thing. I mean, Kentucky doesn't have the same football budget that Alabama does, and Vandy doesn't have the same that Tennessee does. So there's there's some there's a variety of of there's a range of budget across the SEC and Florida State has a has a bigger budget for football than many of those programs in the SEC. So that's already a bit of a problem. I'm going to assume by the question that you mean like an Alabama type budget. Uh and in that case, yeah, there's some big changes that I'm making. I'm I'm going to go ahead and, and and immediately get to work building a uh a a, a football facility, a, uh, a standalone football facility that attaches to the uh, indoor practice field. I'm going to move the practice fields over a little bit and take over a little bit of that uh, parking lot that is outside the Moore Center. Uh, basically, almost eliminate that parking lot uh, by the Moore Center on the, uh, on the north side of Doak Campbell and go ahead and uh, try to unite a lot of what's going on. I'd put a new, new weight room out in, uh, adjacent to the uh, to the pra indoor practice facility uh, as a part of the standalone football facility and just have a palatial indoor uh, uh, football only facility that is, you know, on the backside of the, the full, of the soccer complex there, and then have that overlooking the, the practice fields that back up to Doak Campbell. Uh, I would also uh, begin to hire a series of analysts uh, that would be, um, that would be uh, on on retainer essentially. Uh, that th I think there's a lot of a lot of analysts out there that don't need to be on site. So you know, and Florida State understands this. They you know, there's been some degree of taking advantage of this in the past. Uh, and basically, I would be finding some of the people that are really really good scheme guys. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about people who know scheme better than me. Uh, scheme guys to be uh, analysts, I, you know, I'd send them laptops or whatever, whatever's necessary to be able to, 
uh, to take a look at opponent film and all that and have those guys breaking stuff down and sending in reports and doing all this stuff offsite. No reason to have guys on site to do this all the time. I'd have guys breaking down film, studying what's, you know, trends and doing all this stuff and submitting reports to a, uh, to an analyst who heads up all of the offsite analysts that then that guy can provide, uh, all of the reports and all of that to the coaching staff. Uh, and and keep working with that, but basically hire a relatively low wage army of uh, of analysts for uh, for that kind of thing. Uh, you know, have you know twenty or thirty offsite analysts that you're that you're basically just giving access to uh, opponent film and things like that to see what they uh, what they what what reports they give. Uh, so that's finding a way to maximize. Uh, the money there, even even though you've got more money, it's finding a way to make it go even further by bringing some of those guys in. I mean, heck, a lot of those guys would just do that work just to get the uh, access to the coaches' film. Um, I would uh, I would work closely, actually, with the track program. I would pour a little bit more money into the track program and try to get the track program and the football program working closely together to make sure that that's as an appeal a, a, an appealing a. Uh, a mixture as possible to make sure that I'm attracting the fastest players in the country uh, to to want to both run track and uh, play at, uh, play football at Florida State. Uh, I would uh, hire more and uh, I would hire more and spe- more specialized strength and conditioning uh, assistants and and all of that to make sure that they uh, that they had the best possible uh, speed training and, and most advanced approach on that front. There's a lot of things that I would do with that kind of budget, uh, with with what Alabama's got, uh, and also on the nutrition and uh, uh, supplement side. You know, you want to make sure that you're getting, you're taking care of everything as it needs to be there, making sure that players have access to the best nutrition, uh, which they do a pretty good job of. But again, the the budget's lower there than it uh, than it than it really should be, or uh, than it is at uh, some places. But uh, I don't think budget is as much a problem in a lot of those areas as a lot of people think. I mean, Florida State still spends top 15, top 10 money uh, in terms of their their overall program. They're just not spending as much as, as your Alabamas and some of those places. Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, and I also would be uh, making sure that I had uh, top, absolutely top tier salary range for the very best uh, uh, assistants in the country. So, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, if you have to pay well above market to keep your assistance a la Clemson, then you do that. So that's that's the other thing. Uh, next question was it was paired on to that is what what conference would you put FSU in if you had a choice? Well, that that that, again, comes into two different things. Number one is, are we presuming the current conference structure or do I get to move move teams around as conferences should be? <laughs> because the second if I can do the second thing, then that's a totally different thing because I think conferences really should be much more regional than they are now. Uh, I think college football has lost some of its uh, some of its some of what makes it special when you have the the teams within the same region that don't and and, and that are traditionally uh, natural rivals just because the fan bases are you know they go to work together every day. Those teams should be playing each other year in year out much more. So to me, it makes much more sense if, say, Florida State, Miami, Georgia Tech, Georgia, Alabama, and Auburn are all in the same conference. That's how it should be, because all those teams are regional, you know, and, and toss Clemson and South Carolina in there. Now you've got the real Southeast Conference, right? That's that's how that should be. So if I had my druthers, that's what what I'd want. But since that's not how that actually works, uh, 
and we've got a uh, a much larger conference kind of thing. Uh, the one conference I would not want to put Florida State in is the SEC. Uh, I think moving to the SEC is w- would eliminate pretty much all of the or nearly all of the advantages that Florida State has as a program. Uh, you're you're taking a program that has a lower budget uh, in terms of a lower ceiling in terms of uh, of booster money that can be that can be marshaled, uh, and you're putting it into a program with with other 900 pound gorillas that are that have much more much larger and more natural. Uh, non-television budgets. And that's the thing a lot of people don't understand is that no matter how much money you're getting from your television network, it's really your booster organization that is providing the the, the foundation for what you're able to do as a program. Yeah, the money matters from, from TV, but even if Florida State made SEC network money, they'd still be at a huge deficit to a program like LSU or to Alabama because of the amount of money that those programs are at Texas A&M, because of the amount of money that those programs have in terms of the booster wealth that those guys are just willing to pony up a lot more because you've got a lot of old money, a lot of old South money in those, uh, in those programs or oil money in, in Texas A&M's case, Florida state doesn't have a whole lot of billionaires in its graduate pool. I mean, you got Sarah Blakely and you got, you know, what else? I mean, this is not, there's not a whole lot of billionaires in Florida states, uh, in Florida states, uh, graduate, uh, or alumni base, and there's even few, there, you, you, there's no T-bone, T-Boone Pickens either, you know, so th- even, even the, the billionaires that they have are not uh, football obsessed who are willing to pour money into, uh, into that uh, just to get wins. So you don't want to move Florida State into a conference where suddenly they're just going to be another big program among all of these others that have more, more money. Uh, what you want is you want to maximize the return. So if you're thinking about what's best for Florida State, you want to put Florida State into a conference where they hold the best advantages over the competition. And right now the ACC is a pretty good sweet spot for that. I mean, basically you have Florida State and Clemson and then to a lesser extent Miami and and North Carolina that have natural resource and recruiting advantages over everybody else. And so you want to be there where you're in the top, where you're obviously, if, if, if there's great talent in your conference, you're going to have that advantage because you want to win. The number one thing to be able to compete for championships is you've got to win your conference or, or, or compete for your conference year in, year out. And Florida State's in position to do that in a place like the ACC. They're not in position to do that in the SEC. You put them in the SEC and, you know, basically the, the results that you're getting at Florida are more or less what you could kind of expect for Florida State. You put Florida State in the same conference as Florida and what advantages does Florida State have off the field aside from, say, FAMU, which is a decent advantage, and you know the cultural side of, of Tallahassee that's advantageous over, over Gainesville. But aside from that, you've got basically no real reason to favor Florida State over Florida if you're a, if you're a big-time recruit. Right now, if you're in the ACC, you can consistently win at the highest level more easily than Florida because you don't have to deal with Georgia and Tennessee and LSU on your schedule every year. You've got Clemson and then that's it in terms of your conference. So the ACC is a better option than the SEC for that reason. And then I would favor the big 10 as Really, if I had my choice and we're talking about, you know, going non-regional, which the ACC is not as regional as I would like, really the place where Florida State would probably be best off would be the Big Ten. 
especially if they were able to get a Big Ten, sort of a Southern pod for the Big Ten. So, you know, my idea would be something like uh, Clemson, Georgia Tech, and Florida State uh, and Miami all go to the Big Ten together as a Southern pod. And now you have Florida State that in the Big Ten conference can compete with all the big boys. Because, yeah, you know, a lot of those Big Ten programs have more money, but they can't compete regionally for some of those recruits. So now you've got the, you know, you, you, you've got that advantage in the Big Ten over all those, uh, all those other programs. And the Big Ten, in terms of the ceiling and, and recruiting benefits of, uh, of a lot of those programs, is less than what you're going to get in something uh, among a lot of the programs in the ACC. But I would, I would certainly not want Florida State in the, in the uh, SEC, and I wouldn't want them in the Big 12 because I think the Big 12 is uh, sort of a, uh, a lower level, a lower tier conference across the board. I mean, it's basically Texoma. And you're you're limiting your recruiting reach, and I think you're limiting your recruiting reach. You're going with a, a few programs that have more money than you and are going to be the big the big voices in the room uh, throughout. And you don't have uh, the benefit of of adding recruiting revenue and, or recruiting a, a, a strong recruiting base, a much stronger recruiting base, or a ton more revenue. So that that one wouldn't make sense either. All right. So before I move on to the final couple questions here. Uh, we're about a half an hour. I want to go ahead and start wrapping up. Uh, want to thank my third sponsor, and that is Garage Makeovers. They're the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, according to Home Advisor and Angie's List. If you need polyaspartic flooring, yep, polyaspartic. If you need polyaspartic flooring, overhead storage, any sort of thing to make your garage the envy of your neighborhood, contact Garage Makeovers. Let Nathan know you heard about him and them from the Unconquered podcast. If you are in the South Florida, you need it. They're the people to go with. All right. Let's go ahead and the last couple questions here. <laughs> okay. So um, through the first five games, do you agree that Cyrus Fagan and Amari Gaynor have been the most improved players in the team? Any other players that you think have really improved? That is a really good question. Uh, I would say Fagan, no. Uh, he's, he's had some rough moments that haven't been noticed as much. Uh, he, he's played okay, but he hasn't been great, great. I think you can certainly argue for Gainer there because he has really shown out, although it's more that he's just grown into the position and he's in his second year. He's, he was already going to be that good. He's just become what you would hope to, you would, you would hope he would. Uh, I would say the most improved player this year might be Hamsa. He had some trouble in coverage last year. Hamsa has been really, really good this year. I mean, you're talking about a guy that might leave early now because of how well he's played. Uh, I would say Hamsa is the most improved player. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, I, I would say uh, maybe Keith Gavin. I mean, Gavin has, uh, on the offensive side, uh, shown a bit more consistency. Yeah, he's had a couple drops, but he's been... You, you haven't noticed him a whole lot other than when he's making a first down catch or making a big block or that sort of thing. So got to give him credit on the offensive side. But I would say certainly Hamsa would be my number one. Gainer probably my number two. And then Josh Brown would probably be my number three in terms of the most improved players on this team. And you know what? No, there's one more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add number two. Hamsa Nasiruddin, number one. Janarius Robinson. Janarius has played way better this year than he did last year. Janarius has been excellent. And then at times, no, he's had some, he's had some 
It, but like you look at what the way he played against NC State, that's the best he's ever played at Florida State. So Hamsa, Janarius, Amari Gaynor, and then Josh Brown, I would say, have been the most improved players at Florida State. And then offensively, you can argue for either Keith Gavin or Pokey Wilson. Pokey probably, actually, I would favor over, over Keith Gavin. So good question there, though, because I think, again, that reflects uh, a lot of what we've seen in terms of some of the improvement on the field uh, over last year. All right. Final couple questions. Uh, only one question I need answered in order to know if Florida State can keep it close with, Cle with Clemson. How does Florida State's O-line compare with the UNC O-line? Well, I got bad news for you. Um, I've, I, I've seen both Florida State and UNC up close, in personal, in practice. And UNC's offensive line is a lot better than Florida State's. I mean, it's a lot better. Player for player, I think UNC might have four offensive tackles on its roster that would all start at Florida state right now four, And I think they'd, I think uh, they've got both guards, at least one of their guards, uh, uh, Ed Montillas uh, from Apopka uh, would start at Florida state. I mean, you realize that, that Barnes who Florida state, who is the number one tackle on Florida state's board a couple of years ago, he's not starting at North Carolina. Think about that. He would definitely be starting at Florida State right now. He's not starting at, 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 at UNC. Now, Florida State has one guy that would be starting at UNC right now, and that's at center. And that's just because UNC's starting center is now out for the year, Nick Polino. Uh, and they, they've had to move to a younger backup. But even that younger backup is not a whole lot of a drop-off from, uh, from what Florida State has. But... UNC's left tackle is going to be an NFL draft pick, probably a top three round NFL draft pick. Uh, their right tackle is young, but probably also going to be a top three round, top four round NFL draft pick. And they've got a couple draft picks behind them, potential draft picks behind them. They're a lot better on the offensive line than Florida State. It's not even close. And final question. Clemson has elite defensive tackles, but they're young elite defensive tackles, right? Nope. And that will be my teaser for the next podcast where I'm going to break down why I think Florida State is going to keep it closer against Clemson than the experts think. This is one where with that 27 point spread, uh, if I were a gambling person, I'd, uh, I, I'd if I were a sporting gentleman, I'd probably be putting a, uh, probably a unit or two on Florida State to cover that. Just just saying, mostly in, in large measure because of that answer, because Clemson just does not have the elite defensive tackle talent that they have in recent years, which uh, will make for some interesting matchups against Florida State this week. But I'll, I'll save the rest of that for my Clemson podcast, preview podcast. I'm going to go ahead and sign off now. Before I go, I want to thank the patrons above the bleach numbers level, and that is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, and Burt Bertoldi. Extremely grateful for, uh, for the support there. And uh, looking forward to getting some more stuff out this week. Until the next time, this has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this. <laughs>